Verse 18. So after this. After what? Right before. Remember, Galileo, that whole thing that happened back up in Corinth? They tried to get him with politics, and then the governor was like, nah, everything's chill, everything's good. And then it says after that, after that whole showdown, Paul stayed. Right? I think Isaiah pointed out in the back that a lot, it's more often that he just he gets in trouble than he goes. Right? God doesn't allow the trouble to come for some reason, and so he stays. And it says he stays many days longer. So he was there for a year and a half already, right? The thing happens with Galileo. He stays a little bit longer. We don't know exactly how much longer, but he does stay a bit longer. But I want us to see that he decided to stay. And then, at some point in the time, he took leave of the brothers. He departed. He set sail for Syria. Syria is where Antioch is. Antioch is home base. Just keep that in mind. So, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila hop on the journey. First thing I want us to see before we kind of keep pressing through. We only got six verses tonight. But notice that Paul stays and then Paul takes leave. He stays, then he leaves. There's a time to stay. And then there's a time to leave. You see that? And my pops brought up the question, how do you know? Good question. I would have loved to see Paul's, if he had a journal, or just hear one of his prayers during this whole time. I would have loved to hear how he discerned the will of God. Because we're going to see more decisions to come of whether to stay or to leave or to come back. But anyway... I want us to see first that everything in this life is seasonal, guys. Remember that. Everything on the, in this life, under the sun, Ecclesiastes 3, 11 says, everything, there's a season. A time for every matter under heaven. Just pause and think about that for a little bit. There's a time to stay. And there's a time to go. As believers, as we're pilgriming through this life, God will bring us in and out of all sorts of seasons. And he'll allow us to interact with all sorts of saints. Everything in this side of life is transient. Like, think about that. Pause for a moment. Look around you. It's not going to be like this forever. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Everything. There's a time to stay, a time to go. I imagine after a year and a half and then so maybe two years of being with this church, I imagine it had been an emotional departure. Notice up until chapter 18 on Paul's missionary journey, because I think we can draw from it. Um, Paul, God has allowed him to interact with so many different saints for so many different seasons. Right? At one point, we saw him with Barnabas, and then not. And then it was Timothy and Silas, and then not. And then now it's Priscilla and Aquila. And then this life. One thing I started to marvel at and be so grateful to God for was in my own journey, the various saints in the various seasons of my pilgrimage. I grew up as a child in this place. And God used some mighty men and women in my life for that particular season. And I went from my childhood to my adulthood to just all the various different men's groups and accountabilities and prayer partners I've had in this journey. And God is still teaching me. 
that more change is to come. We don't like change. That's why I want to just linger on this for a little bit, because we don't like stuff like that. We don't like change. But just understand, in this journey, there's going to be a time to stay, and then there's going to be a time to leave. I know some of us even in the house, you know, in just a matter of months, some will go to Korea. Some will be going to Arizona. Some will know for years. Some will know for decades. We don't know how long each season we have with each other is. But right now, as the Lord leads, there's a time to stay. And then as the Lord leads, there's a time to leave. And it's going to be okay. Because eventually, here, there, in the air, if we're in Christ, this is forever. I'm sure it must have ripped Paul's heart out to leave Corinth after all the work he's done. He even shares in his letters, like, I can't wait to come back to you guys. And he says, if the Lord permits it. But I think something that the apostle is very mature and keen in is that this life is not where it's at. We got to keep going. Anyway, enough of that. Um, let's keep going. So, Paul, he stays for a little bit, then he leaves. And now, I won't talk too much about Priscilla and Aquila. I'll leave that for next week because they kind of come into the picture more. But it is interesting and noteworthy that Luke notes that they decide to hop on the boat with him and go with him on this journey so far. And, and then it says that uh, Kenkria, he got a haircut. Kenkria is the port right out of Corinth. And so right before they hop on the boat uh, on that eastern harbor, he decides to cut his hair. Why? Because Kenkria had a good barbershop? No. What does it say? He was under a vow. There's a lot of speculation on, okay, what kind of vow is this? Is it a Nazarite vow? If you look at number 16, that's one. Some scholars say it's that. Some say they, they don't believe it's that because the Nazarite vow, you needed to do it in Jerusalem. Um, but in any case, it could have been a private vow. Uh, the Nazarite vow, if you read number six, it says that, you know, when you're going to commit to do something for the Lord, you're not to drink wine and you're not to cut your hair. Until you pawhana, then you can cut your hair. And when you cut your hair, you got to do it right. You got to do it at the temple. Or you got to do it in the, the tent of meeting. And then you burn that hair as a thank offering to God. I followed through, I committed, and I'm done, I'm pow. Or if you screwed up in the midst of it and you got it all defiled, then you'd have to buzz your hair and start again. But that's, that's how the Nazarite vow worked. And so we don't know. It could have been, it could have not. It could have just been a personal vow. We know this, though, that this ceremonial vow Paul was not under law anymore he's not doing this to be justified he's not just like circumcision he's remember a lot of his ministry was debunking that you don't need to be circumcised to be saved so we know that Paul's not doing this vow to be saved but it's interesting that if him or Aquila was doing this it maybe it was devotional maybe there was a sense of like you know I want to do this vow as unto the Lord and I'm not saved by this vow but I'm going to do it just like circumcision as unto the Lord I'm going to do it could have been devotional. It could have been strategic. Strategic. Because think about it. Is this one of the reasons why when he showed up in Ephesus, the Jews there received him well? They noticed he's a man who keeps with the ceremonial laws. Like, wow, look, he's a Nazarite. Oh, whoa. We don't know. We don't know. But we know that later he does this with Tim, or he did this with Timothy, right? The circumcision. So whether it was strategic or devotional or both, we don't really know exactly. We weren't there. We couldn't ask Paul. Luke doesn't mention that it was Nazarite or whatnot. But we do know this, that Paul was a man who committed himself to serve and worship the Lord. 
He was the kind of man that kept his word. He followed through. He's the kind of man, he's the kind of man that we need more today. Psalm 78 verse 11 says, make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Just pause and really quick as we go. How are you doing with that? Married people, these vows are to the Lord. How are we doing there? Members, we made vows to the Lord. How are we doing? So he goes on, came to Ephesus. He left them, Priscilla and Aquila. He left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. It's probably Luke's favorite way of describing Paul's time with the Jews, right? Always reasoning. He's in there. He's Bible studying. We've seen that again and again and again. And then it says, they asked him. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. They asked him to stay. Right? And all of us are kind of like, whoa, that's cool. Because in the last city, they were like, get out of here. What's happening? I want to remind us back in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. You remember when Paul was traveling through, he wanted to go to Asia, and then what happened? You guys remember? Two chapters ago, 16, verse 6. I see the heads going. Yeah, <laughs> the Spirit forbid Paul. Remember that? He was on his way, and he wanted to go to Asia. Verse 6, it says the Spirit forbid him. In other words, the door was closed. No can go, Paul. Is this because God doesn't care about Asia? No. Paul, had a, Paul for, since chapter 16, has been jonesing to get to Ephesus. He's been waiting for this moment. You gotta imagine this now. And then he finally gets there. And look at what happens. They want more of the word. Can you stay longer, brother? Can you preach on? Now, before we get to the next part, which is shocking, remember this that God can open the doors that he at one time had closed. God and God alone can open the doors that he at one time had closed. I wonder, brother, sister, friend, if you have an aspiration, a desire, a prompting, a plan in how you want to serve the Lord, a direction in life that you want to go, and then you hit that closed door. Nah. No can. Circumstances or whatever just forbids it. You've been trying so hard to, to go this way, and it seems like the door is being closed. You ever been there? Maybe some of you are there right now. There's something you really aspire to do for God, and it's just not happening. Well, don't be so discouraged and disappointed just yet, because when God says no, that doesn't mean not never. God may be saying no now, so in chapter 16, God was like, oh, Paul was like, oh, okay, let's go to Asia. Let's go this way. And the Spirit said, no, but not no and never. There was a time in my life when I was a teenager, a little older than Sovereign, maybe a couple years older than her, and right here in this place, actually in the third pew right there, I wanted to get a Bible study going. I tried really, really hard. And I won't, I'll spare you the details, but in short, God said, no, no can. That no led to me even leaving this church. Never ever thinking I would darken the door of this church ever again. Oh, shut door, no, okay, done, pow, I don't quit. And look at where we are. Look at what we're doing now. Bible study. The Lord might close the door, but that doesn't mean he can't open it. And it doesn't mean he won't open it. Little did Paul know that he would end up here Two years later, 
and then the Jews in this town be like, oh yeah, give me more of that good word, brother. But then we move on, and the story gets interesting, right? He declined. So right when you would think, sweet, for two chapters I've been waiting for this moment, and look it, they want more, and then he declines. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return if God wills. And then he set sail to emphasis, Ephesus. What's going on, Paul? Why would you say no to more ministry of the word? Why would you say no to people who want more of it? Why would you say no to a place where you were wanting that door to be open and now the door is open? Why don't you go in? Well, we know this. He says, if God wills, I'll be back. That's huge. This is so insightful because it tells us that Paul is guided by God, not the circumstance. He's guided by God, not the need. He's guided by God. If God wills it, just because God opens a door doesn't mean you are to go in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Wait on him. Wait on his word. Wait for God to say go. Isn't it interesting that when Noah landed in that ark and the water began to subside, how many times Moses records Noah waited and waited. Even though outside he looked out the door, it's dry. I was getting so antsy reading through Genesis 8 because I was like, dude, get off the boat. It's been so long. Like if I see a little bit of land, I'm out. Just drop me off right there. But he waited. He waited, he waited, he waited. And he wasn't even just waiting for it all to get dry. He waited until God said, Noah, go. He waited on God. And I just wonder, I wonder for those of us in this pilgrimage, in this journey, as we're going from place to place and God opens door or shuts door, are we just led by the circumstance? and the feeling that we feel. I wonder if it was hard for Paul to decline. Think about it. He's waiting for this since chapter 16. And then these people are receiving him. I wonder if he was tempted, like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll just pause whatever it is God had told me to do. Maybe Jerusalem and Antioch can wait. This whole haircut thing of mine, maybe... Does that have to do with it? Is there a part in which this is why he's trying to get to Jerusalem by Passover? We don't know. But we know he says this. Okay, guys, if God wills, I'll be back. That must mean that to Paul, God did not will for him to stay. Are we so in tune with God and his word and his spirit that you and I walk like this? Do you know the language, if the Lord wills? Let me, let me give you a verse. Um, James, right? Let's see, did I even write it down? James chapter 4, verse 15. Actually, that whole chapter. If you want to turn over there, let's turn over there really quick and look at it. Um, Hebrews, James, James chapter 4. Let's start from verse 13. So come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, 
you ought to say, here it is, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. Do you use language where you talk like you're the Lord of your life? You're the sovereign. I'm going to do this tomorrow. This is my plan six months from now. This is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. Do you talk? James says that's arrogant to talk like that because you don't know if you'll last tonight. We need to learn this language. We need to learn to pray this language, a language that instructs our hearts in the sovereignty of God. If God wills, if God wills, I'll make it through this service. If the Lord wills, I'll get home to see my children. Why is it so important to journey through this life like this? Is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 just a memory verse for you? Or do you believe that? Do you believe it in such a way where you and I, we do, we acknowledge God in all our ways. Paul had the opportunity to stay. And all the brothers there were like, please stay longer. We love your teaching, blah, blah, blah. And I wonder if he had to take a step outside and be like, Lord, what do I do? Is this you? Is this the time? Do I stay a little longer like I did at Corinth? And he comes back and he says, brothers, if God wills, I'll be back. And we have the privilege of reading on. He'll be back, and he'll be back for three years. But he didn't know that then. Flip back to Acts. God help us learn to pray like this. All of you, all of us, we have choices, decisions, doors to go in or not right now, whether it's work, school, relationships. You're making decisions every single moment of your day. And they're big ones and some are smaller. But may I suggest, may I plead with you, brother, sister, acknowledge God. He's in control of your life. Go to him and ask, Lord, will it? He also mentions that in his letter um, to the Corinthian church. I think it's, I don't want to misquote it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7 and 9, he says, I really want to see you, and not just in passing. I'll, I'll like spend time with you. That's what it says. And then he says, if the Lord permits. He's writing back to the Corinthian church. He's like, I really want to come back and I really want to hang out and not just kind of cruise through if the Lord permits. And then he says this in verse 8. I got to go to Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective work has just opened. That's what he's talking about, this moment. He came through Ephesus. All the guys, oh, yeah, just teach us more about Jesus. He's like, oh, okay, uh, I got to make a decision. Okay, God, I got to keep going. I got to get to Jerusalem. I got to get to Antioch. And we're going to keep going. We'll see why. But he goes, but this is, gives us insight into Paul's heart. He really wanted to stay there. He really wanted to get back to Corinth, but he's governed by God. Paul is guided by God, not the circumstance, not even his emotions. And he has the maturity to say, if God wills. Great lessons to learn from this missionary. Let's keep going. Verse 22. And when he landed in Caesarea, or Caesarea, however you'd like to pronounce it, he went up and greeted the church. Okay, Caesarea, that is the name of the city after Augustus Caesar. It's a seaport out of Judea. 
And so he lands in this seaport. And then it says, Luke uses this language all the time when he's talking about going to Jerusalem. I'll quote it for you if you don't believe. Acts 15, 2, 21, 12, 25, 9. That's all in the book of Acts. He also says it in Luke, his gospel account. Luke 18, 31, 19, 28. It's all, every time it says, and they went up, and they went up, or and they went down. It's always about going to or from Jerusalem. So when it says, okay, he went to greet the church, this is not a church at the seaport. This is Jerusalem. You look on the map, it's not that much farther. But let's chew on this for a little bit. So we see that he went to Jerusalem and he greeted the church. That's the church he's talking about. But I like that word greeted because Paul uses it a lot in his letters. Really quick thing I want us to see is Paul had great affection for the church. He just had to stop in. He just had to go get some handshakes and hugs. He had to see them. He had to pay that respect. And Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, all these verses I'm quoting, he says in his letters, greet one another, brothers, with a holy kiss. Holy kiss. Greet each other affectionately. He writes also, I stir with affection for you with the affection of Christ. Just understand that this man, Paul, he really has great affection for the church. Why? It's a holy kiss. What makes this holy? When you show up on Sunday or tonight and you see each other, do you recognize how holy this is? Every time you shake hands, when I shook hands with some of you tonight, I'm shaking hands with citizens of the kingdom of God. When I see a brother that I haven't seen for a long time, or I meet a new brother here that just moved to the islands just of recent, and we might not know a lot about each other, but when I shake his hand and I hug him and I know he's a Christian, it's holy. Not because of the way we've been handshake. You know how Kaleo does handshakes with everybody. That's not what makes it holy. That's not a holy kiss. What makes it holy is who we are in Christ. We're redeemed people, are we not? You ought to, we ought to, we ought to teach our children to show up at the gatherings, to come to service and be like, whoa. This is crazy. Look at all these people who are nothing like me. And they're here singing the same song and tapping their shoe and crying at the same, they're, they're into the same verse. What's happened? We're, we're not from here. We're not of this world. You know, when I was living in, in Indiana for a short time of my life, and I saw another local boy, and we just know he's from Hawaii because everyone else is wearing shoes in the house and we're there barefoot. And, and we just have that walk like, oh, you know, like, and then there's just this thing. You, you run and you stop because, yeah, there's a holiness about it. Why? Because we're kindred. We're countrymen. We're from the same homeland. When we greet each other, what makes it holy is this is not home. This is why when Paul goes from city to city, I used to do this, and I, and I ought to revive it. Whenever I drive around the islands and I see a church, and I know those brothers, I know the pastor, I know, there's, I know they preach the gospel, I, I throw my hand up out of my car, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, Lord Jesus, be with blah, 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 Baptist church, or be with this in this church, and be with them. And I used to do that to practice in my heart. This is not home. We're all on the same team, and we're going home. And we got to keep going. There's this sense of when we greet, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that this is not home. Like, don't you, like, please, wig out at the thought that God graced us all to have the, the faith to believe that he's risen, that he can save, that he has saved us, and that this world is not where it's at. We're moving on. So every time you see a brother, 
and especially brothers and sisters who are elsewhere, outside of our church, it ought to provoke in us like a, huh, wow, God's on the move. I got, I got brothers in this city. I got brothers in that city. I got sisters in that country. I love this. So he gets down there. He's in Caesarea. He's like, okay, we've got to stop at Jerusalem. Let's go. Go to Jerusalem, greets the brothers, and then moves on. He went down. Notice the language. Even though on the map Antioch is north of Jerusalem, he went down. That's just language that's used to communicate going to Jerusalem, the mother church where this all began. Remember Pentecost? So he went down to Antioch, and after spending some time there, he departed and went. So this is noteworthy because we, what we know about Antioch, that's the sending church. That's home base. This is noteworthy, and I wonder if this is why Paul was like, okay, I could stay in Ephesus, but I ain't no solo missionary. I got to go check back in at home. I wonder if Luke is trying to help the reader see that Paul served with the support of the local church. He wasn't some superhero Paul, and I'll just do whatever I like do. Oh, they want me in Ephesus? I'm staying in Ephesus. No. He submitted himself to a local church. The brothers and sisters in Antioch need a report, and they should get one because of all that God's been doing in these past years, I need to go and tell them. So when he gets to Antioch, you better believe. Yes, he may have been resting. I, I hope he was because, <laughs> bro, you got to rest. You know what I mean? Um, but what he was also doing was checking into the church. He serves with the support of the church. In your journey, in your Christianity, in this pilgrimage, do you have the support of a local family? Are you plugged in? Do you have a home base to check into? Do you serve like that? I struggled with that a lot in my first years of journeying with Jesus. I was like on loose cannon. I just like do anything Jesus, wherever I like, all me. That's just how I served, and that was wrong. I love, I love that God has hemmed me in, brought me and in, inserted me into a local church, a church that's growing, that has other brothers and sisters growing, and we're connected with other churches in our denomination, and we all check in and hold account each, um, keep each other accountable. This is the kind of servant, this is the kind of missionary Paul was, not a solo missionary. Just imagine for a moment before we move on, like can you imagine Antioch is where so much of this began for Paul. This is like the former days. Some of you here have had the blessing and the prayer. We get to see your conversions in this place. A lot of you, like you maybe came to faith and you started coming here and it's the beginning of your journey and, and you're just starting to, to learn things and grow in, in your giftings. You've cried in these pews. You've, you've, you've you know, ran around and played and you've had memories here and, and God's been growing and maturing you. And if in God's providence and grace, he sends you somewhere else and you go, whether it's by work or college or mission work, God sends you on the mission field and you go. And, and if God ever were to bring you back to New Uanu area, please stop in. Please check in. And I wanna, um, want you to imagine, imagine a moment for Paul when he walks into Antioch where it all began, where this whole romance of a journey began for him, where he became a missionary, and to just walk in, just to, just to be ministered to there in Antioch. Can you just imagine that for him? Can you imagine just the church just being like, ah! you know, like, what'd you do with your hair? You know, like, just, can you just imagine the joy of that welcoming home and then hanging out, and then, and then Paul goes back out. This verse is pivotal because it marks the end of the second missionary journey and then the beginning of the third. But I want us to really just kind of 
I don't know. I just think that's so cool that he served with the support of the local church. Let's read on to close. From one place to the next, through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Something I love about Paul that Luke seems to paint and help us see about Paul. And not just because he was an apostle, he had all these connections, but I want us to see this, that he was really about the great commission, not the greatness of any one particular church. Understand this, he's an apostle. He's not just church hopping for fun. I mean, he helped establish a lot of these churches. But I want us to see this in his mindset, in his scope, that he wants disciples everywhere to be strengthened. He's not trying to just build up the name of his one little local Antioch for life, you know, and make all the other churches jealous of Antioch because Antioch is just one mega banging church. Bah. Yeah, you Antioch. You know, he had Antioch stickers on his chariots and all that kind of stuff. And he was going preaching town to town. And, you know, if you want any more resources, visit Antioch.org. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to make a brand name for himself. He was about the Great Commission. I love that. And I'm so discipled by that, that he cares. He, he invested sweat and literally blood to see the disciples strengthened everywhere. I hope and pray this prompts us to pray for other churches so much more than we do. We need to learn to do that, brothers and sisters. We need to learn to pray for churches, not just even in Hawaii. Across the globe, we have an opportunity to, you know, um, minister to the national, international students this Saturday. We're going to go surfing and whatnot. And we're praying and hoping that there's churches in their homeland where they're coming from, but that they would become believers and that we can actually, you know, we care about them. We care about that nation. We care about Japan. We care about Ukraine. We care about, like, we care. We care why there are brothers and sisters. We are living in a time and in an age where we're so existential, so, so all about us and our little bubble. We can't see anything off of this rock. You can't see anything out of your mirror, your house, your own web face page, you know, Facebook. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, but you know, it's just, we're so, we, we need to ask the Spirit of God to just break us free and, and just remind us and help us to just be so stoked about our identity in Christ and that this is, this is global. Paul was a man like that. One place to the next, town to town, city to city, church to church, strengthening, strengthening who? The disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of Honolulu, period. Is that all your heart ought to be about or wherever you reside from? No, make disciples of all nations. Sure, you and I may not be like the Apostle Paul and we'll be connected in all these various different nations, because we started all these churches. No, but I think the heart he has is what we want. I want to have that heart. I don't want to be all about any one particular place. I want to be about the gospel everywhere because that's what you and I are part of. Isn't that staggering? You and I are a part of a big mission. That's dope. Strengthening disciples. To close, how did he do this? I'll give you some verses. How I believe he was strengthening the disciples in all these places. Romans 1.11, it says, I long to see you that I may impart to you a spiritual gift to strengthen you. Same Greek word. Well, he strengthened disciples in person. 
if he had the means to do it, he did it in person. Notice he didn't just, wasn't content to just FaceTime him. You know, he, he went there. He strengthened the disciples in person. There's just something about live contact, amen? There's just something about this, being in the same room, breathing the same air, seeing each other. That strengthens a disciple here. Romans 16, 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He strengthened disciples in his preaching. He preached Christ. He preached the gospel. He, you better believe he went town to town preaching Bible and Bible to Jesus. And lastly, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another with these words. What words? That King Jesus is coming. James 5.8, establish or strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I really think he went town to town, place to place, strengthening disciples by pointing them to what's to come. This ain't home, brothers, sisters. You know, it's not home. Strengthen each other with these words. Is your heart strong in the Lord tonight? Does your presence and the presence of another brother and sister strengthen their faith? Like, just think about it. When you come into the room, when you come through the door, when you spend time with each other, do you really strengthen each other in the unseen things? Or is it just temporary console? It's just fun. I have nothing wrong with fun. I love fun. I love to hang. We can just watch a movie. That's fine. But normatively, at the end of all this, I hope that if you ever come into proximity with me, because I don't know if we're going to have tomorrow, that you be strengthened in the faith and that you know this ain't home. And you know how we're going. I hope you love Jesus more because you came tonight. That's my prayer. If that's what's happening in this place, that's church. That's a work of God. That's what Paul was doing when he went strengthening the churches. So strengthen each other. Next week, um, we'll see more about Priscilla and Aquila. Brother John's going to take us there into that text. But um, as we kind of bring this travelogue to a close, just, just pause for a moment, breathe in all the things that we went through, and we'll pray. We'll just give you guys a moment. You can look at your notes, maybe look at something that just resonated, hit home. And I'll just give you some silence to kind of just you just go to God right now and ask the Lord to push that seed from his word a little bit deeper into your heart. Father in heaven, life really is a mist. It's so fast. And in this life, there are so many doors and decisions to be made. Just help us to see that it all has the purpose of making disciples. We're all growing fast here. God, you graciously brought us into each other's midst, maybe for a few more months, maybe years, maybe decades. We don't know. But soon the ultimate departure of life will come. And until then, 
Oh God, I pray that we would strengthen one another in the faith. God, I pray until that final departure comes, that if there's souls that haven't truly entered into relationship with you, they haven't truly trusted you for the forgiveness of their sins, they don't know you for real, please, please give them faith, give them Jesus. And that we would become like Paul who just resolved to know Christ and make Jesus known here, there, however short, however long. This life is almost done. And that by your grace, if we are here, we are here right now that we would, when we pray and say amen and look up and see side by side, we have brothers and sisters in our proximity right now. And we are going to do this together. We're going to strengthen each other to take that one more step one more step. You'll sustain us. You'll carry us. You began a good work. You'll complete it. So Lord, please keep building your church here at Nu'uanu, but not just Nu'uanu, all across the world. We are a part of a great family and we have a great commission. So fill us up and send us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.